You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Pupko. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and standing, sitting, being across from me is Rabbi Pupko out of Montreal. Um, it's not winter yet, but there's probably snow in the forecast over there up in Montreal. I know even here in New Jersey, uh, they talked about a chance of snow. It's getting colder. Hanukkah is in the air. Um, and you know, as we know, uh, as uh, Jews, part of the North American scene, we're readying ourselves for this unusual season. Uh, and perhaps as we ready ourselves, and there's going to be perhaps some breaks, and there's going to be uh, periods where we're going to be gathered and sequestered, um, there might be a need to entertain ourselves. <laughs> Besides the Hanukkah dreidel, which maybe we'll talk about next week, uh, the way to entertain ourselves, I guess, today is uh, to stream some kosher video. You know, Rabbi Pupko, um, I don't know if you've noticed it. I don't know if you've uh, been aware of uh, what's been happening, but a lot of the, the very firm outlets have created their own uh, streaming services where you can get kosher entertainment, even comedy and film and, and other things like that. It's almost like um, for years, the idea of this shtuyot, this narish guy, this, um, this, this total bitlesman that will destroy your brain and it's going to, it's going to root out all your frumkite, um, there has now arisen underneath our noses um, a, an entertainment uh, arm of the from world. I don't know if you're aware of that. You could go. Uh, it, it, it's not as cheap as Netflix, but you are able to, uh, uh, you know, to have that type of entertainment. I, I think the amount of leisure time uh, that almost every family has, and the inability to just stag and learn, has opened up this idea. Well, what are you going to watch? What are you going to stream? What is it that you're going to get involved in? Now, I know. And, and you can uh, take off on this, that your stock and trade uh, is a darshan. And every Jewish rabbi who is a darshan needs to have not just a good story, but a, a damn funny story as well. Some sort of story, and in many ways, the same way one of the great Jewish comedians, I don't know if you like him or not, I, I, he's an acquired taste, Jackie Mason, uh, said that his desire to become a, a, a comedic star and to really go out there was based on his shul experience. It was yeah. based on what he saw, <laughs> the chazan. Um, in many ways, you are, are an inspiration, sort of like, you know, not only the, the, the chief uh, darshan who's giving inspiration, you're also, in a way, someone who needs to be quick with a joke, although you're not lighting up any smoke. So, so I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. First of all, you, you know, you and I went to school with Jackie's nephew. Right, the Mazes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. They were tough. They were they were tough guys. Those guys. Those Mazes. Oh, yeah. But Jackie was Jackie Mason's hysterically funny. I mean, uh, I always said the reason he's funny is that no one really understands the idiosyncrasies and foibles 
of our people better than a rabbi. And Jackie's only funny about Jews because he spent time in the rabbinate. And, uh, you know, there are different kinds of rabbis. Some rabbis will never tell a joke, obviously. Uh, some rabbis feel it necessary to begin every sermon with a set piece joke, you know. I used to, I, 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 in the past, I used to, you know, try to find a story or something funny, humorous. Uh, but now the humor that I do is mostly entwined, you know, in, in, as part of the drusher, not some kind of story at the beginning. But, <laughs> Let um, me ask you something. You know, I, I know you're not the most organized fellow, but you're incredibly uh, knowledgeable and you have a, a great database. Do you have a little, um, in your Rolodex joke, do you have like, do you have like a little, a little space where you have, oh, let me look for the stories. You don't have any of that. No, I, I don't, I don't write down. I mean, my father used to write down his drugs with most of his Shabbos. I never, I never did. I never wrote anything down. I never kept anything. Everything is to have a value by me. Everything uh, oh, is here, here today. But I do, but jokes I remember. And by the way, I mean, we all know this. You know, you give a drush, the, the most memorable part will be the, the joke. I mean, that's what they will remember. That's right. And, and I, you know, I think, you, you, did you remember when we were uh, kids, there was a book that went around near Yisrael, Abby Hoffman steal this book. Yeah, Do you remember sure. that? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think you and I might have uh, uh, taken a lot of uh, Abby's ideas about how to rip people off and how to get, a, <laughs> get away with everything. But, 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 I, but I sometimes think, you know, when you hear a rabbi like yourself and others, you want to steal his stuff, right? You want, you know, when you hear a rabbi who, who could really lay it thick and come on and the story, and, and, and again, I'm, I say this with, um, with just a, a tad of Hanufa to you, uh, you know, you know, when I saw your video about the, um, your Turkey video, which I referenced <laughs> last week, yeah. you know, you know, you have to be able to tell the joke, be funny, but at the same time, keep your dignity, right? And, right. And when a rabbi can do that, you can package that. I mean, that's the perfect combo. Um, the hardest thing to do, it is remarkably easy to be funny with people who know you and you know them. It's not as easy to walk in cold. Let's say a kid goes on a prova, you know, uh, an audition Shabbos somewhere and gets up and tries to tell a joke. It's tougher because you need a certain degree of credibility and comfort with an audience as a rabbi, you know, to be able to get up and... Uh, and, and, and be funny and and be accorded dignity despite uh, the humor. You know, it's a balance. It's not easy. I mean, um, you know, I know like before I shouldn't Kipper, I mean, I don't do jokes every Shabbos, but like before I shouldn't Kipper, everybody wants the story. So like I have a couple of friends with whom I discuss brushes with who are rebuttal for many years in other cities. And the last phone call before Yantha was always, you got anything funny? You know, that's, <laughs> the, you know, you got a joke. I mean, because we've all, been doing this for decades and every conceivable joke we have told uh, and often more than once and um and and we all we're always looking i mean that's you know a good idea a good a medrash you know that's a lot easier to find than a new joke but, um, and i i think part of it is is you know the, from where it's coming from as well i mean everybody knows that one of the great aspects of humor is the uh, the things that don't seem to fit together and yet right. they're there if you have a, a a 15 year old pimply kid you know saying something which is a little bit pushing right. the envelope that's not funny but when you have a 60 something year old fellow um right. you know you know it's it's, it's, it's it, funny it, no no it's a lot easier for me to be funny that's right because 
it's a lot easier. If people don't understand that, what you're saying is very, very insightful because humor is about things that don't go together or, or maybe the word shock is better. In other words, the surprise. And therefore, because the ceiling is so is so low for me as a rabbi in terms of what's appropriate and inappropriate, it's a lot easier for me to to, to shock than it would be for, for a normal, for a civilian. Yeah, I, I would use a different term. It's almost like you have to, you have to, you know, they talk about this about all preachers. They talk about it even when they speak about Jesus's um, metaphors. You have to be arresting. In other words, part of what a story does is grab you. It arrests you. Well, I, you know, I'm not asleep anymore. There's something here. And and, and the things that like that don't come together cause the curiosity of your listener to rise, and therefore they are engaged. So right. being humorous, even though they know that you are this scholar, this rabbi, this thinker, um, uh, uh, sort of allows that I to mean, happen. I mean, listen, not all jokes, some jokes are, are, you know, not all jokes have a message. In other words, if you want to tell a joke in a sermon, you generally want to, I'll give you an example, okay, classic example. This is a joke I've, I've told too many times in my life. Uh, this is how the joke goes. Um, there's an apocryphal story about how uh, members of a Jewish community got together and they wanted to do real research on how, it, how uh, on the distinctions between how Jews look at other Jews and how non-Jews look at Jews. So they hire a, a, a sociologist, a demographer. Anyway, they go off and they do a study on the disparity between how Jews view the Jewish people versus how non-Jews. So they go back and they do research and interviews and focus groups for six months. And at the end of six months, uh, the committee is, uh, has a meeting with the sociologist who gets up and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I can sum up the results of my study in the following. You ask a typical non-Jew, tell me, what do you think of the Jewish people? And the non-Jew will reluctantly answer, you know, I don't know how trustworthy they are, They're a little aggressive. They're clannish. You know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Right. You say, tell me, you ask the same non-Jew, what do you think of Mr. Cohen, your neighbor? Oh, Cohen, my neighbor, a jewel of a human being. Love him like a brother. Tell me, what do you think of Silverstein? Who you do business with? Oh, Silverstein's fantastic. Closest friend in the world. All right. You ask the same two questions to a Jew. You say, tell me. You go over to the Jew. What do you think of the Jewish people? And immediately every Jew launches into the same speech. We are the most brilliant people in the world. 30% of Nobel Prizes. We have made contributions to every aspect of civilization. We are geniuses. We are wonderful. The greatest people on earth. Tell me, what do you think of Cohen, your neighbor? Oh, Cohen's a god of an What do you think of Silva? She, oh, yeah, failed. I wouldn't talk to him in a million years. Now, that's a great, it happens to be a very funny joke. Now, the reason, but it's a great joke for a sermon, because then you can talk about the difference between Avas Yisrael, loving the Jewish people in theory, right, and actually loving Jews. You know, and, and being good to other people, and, not, and individuals, not just the idea of so that that's a great that's a great uh, uh, right 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 and I'm and, and, and I'm sh- it was great hearing it and I'm sure you could you could probably recycle that especially um, I, I, just, just to go in on that a little bit I think the the real depth of that joke is is that um, uh, why is it that we have such a hard time 
loving the familiar, loving the people that are right next to us and close to us. Why do we have such a critical, why are we blessed and cursed with such a critical um, sense of other people's faults? Where, you know, you know, why is this something that God has somehow put into the Jewish DNA, the ability to, to notice? And I, and I think, you know, segueing from this, I think that we, we can't deny that, you know, the, we, the post-World War II era, and maybe it was earlier before, but, you know, we are sort of, you know, baby uh, boom late children, boom. Late, but we're, we're definitely part of the baby boom, is, is that it was Jewish comedians um, coming out of the Borscht Belt, starting somewhere from uh, you know, from the Catskills, eventually really became the the voice of cynicism, the voice of critique. You know, I mean, look look at listen, look at comedy, look at every aspect of 20th century American culture. Whether it's musical comedy on on Broadway, whether it's Lenny Bruce, Woody Allen, Alan King, Henny Youngman. And, and, and everybody through Sarah Silverman, Larry David, and Jerry Seinfeld, well, whoever it is, right? You, and every and everybody in between who I miss. I mean, it's an unbelievable contribution, not just contribution, an absolute dominance of certain cult, of, of certain pieces of American culture. And 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 that goes, by the way, I think we talked about this last week. Why it is in fact American to be Jewish. Because Jews took up so much space in the culture. I mean, you go back and you, I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking, and we're not talking about from yesterday. We're talking about, I was just reading an article about how Broadway wasn't just influenced uh, by Jews, but in many ways invented by Jews. The idea of going to the theater, the idea of, you know, which... It's unbelievable, you know, a oh, classic Jewish joke. The classic Jewish joke is, you know, because there was theater in the, in the shtetl, right? So the classic Jewish joke is the two Jews uh, who had seen Shakespeare in the shtetl, because that was, that was not uncommon. They staged Shakespeare in Yiddish, right? Shazain, Anish Shazain, das is the flagger, right? They saw Shakespeare in Yiddish, right? right. And, um, and they go see, oh, they come to America, they go, they walk down the street, and they say, oh, Hamlet is coming, is, is playing right on Broadway. So they, they scrounge some money together. They go see Hamlet. They watch the, the play. They come out of the play. Moshe says to uncle, what do you think of the play? He says, oh, I'll tell you the truth. It was better than the original. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a classic joke. I mean, but that's, it, that's a joke that's very illustrative, I would say, yeah. of where Jews were coming from culturally. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, let, let, let me put a, even a, a finer uh, point on it. I think even the... You know the the like you know uh, the non-Jewish uh, great comedians uh, tap into this Jewish sensibility of being the outsider, the Jewish sensibility oh, yeah. of being the the the, the shlamazel, the one who is no who has no look, the one. I don't know who, about the shlamazel so much. That's part of it, but it's also the idea of being a, being inside the culture, but also one step outside right. where you can see it with a critical eye, which is why African Americans have this have a very similar record in comedy, whether it's uh, Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy, you know, or, or Chris Rock. I mean, you, 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 the ability to see things uh, from the outside to Chappelle, I mean, they have the ability to see things critically. Right. And, 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 I, and I think, again, we, whether it was Lenny Bruce, whoever it was that broke through, um, opened up the idea that you can do it, that you can actually go out there. Uh, you know, Trevor Noah, who's actually an African-American African and a Jew at the same time. Right. Um, Still does it. 
the ability to actually sound off, uh, to be critical, to make points, uh, this was something that but I it think normalized. It normalized, the, but again, it's gotten to the extreme. I mean, you have people like Larry David and Sarah Silverman telling jokes, jokes about Jews and Christians, the likes of which Lenny Bruce wouldn't have had the guts to do. I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you watch some of the stuff they do today. I mean, 50 years ago, a Jew from Europe watching that would say, oh my God, they're going to start a pogrom. I mean, you, you have that episode in, in Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry, who's married to a non-Jew, uh, goes into the kitchen Christmas night and eats the cookies. And, and, the, next, and the next morning, uh, uh, his wife, Cheryl, says, Larry, she yelled, Larry, did you eat the cookies? And Larry goes, yeah, I ate the cookies. And she goes, Larry, you ate baby Jesus. To which Larry responds, oh, I thought it was a monkey. I mean, that's insane where he takes the price now off his father-in-law to bang in the mezuzah. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Right? Right, right. That is an incredible scene. That's incredible. I mean, that's incredy. I mean, right. Alan King, whatever, have the chutzpah and the stuff Sarah Zillman has said about, I mean, come on. The chutzpah, they, it just tells you the degree to which American Jews feel a little too at home in American culture. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, astonishing. You know, you know, let's uh, you know, sit back in our nostalgic armchairs for a minute and talk about like which uh, Jewish comedians you feel like. You mentioned a number of them. Uh, any of them, like any one or two that you want to like extol? He's talking about Larry David. How about some of the um, some of the, those other pioneers? You, you want to? You mentioned Alan King. Talk about one or two that you feel. I mean, Rickles, you still hear his voice. John Rickles is hysterical. Yeah. So talk about. The, I mean, I was going to say Rickles, but go ahead. Talk about Rickles a little bit. Rickles, I mean, Rickles was so funny. I mean, Rickles' humor is, I mean, what is, what is Rickles' humor? Rickles' humor is having, having the guts as a little Jew to say nasty things about powerful Gentiles. That was part of it. Another part of it was, you know, you couldn't do it today, the tinge of uh, racial humor that he would do. But he was hysterical on Jewish stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I remember one time on Johnny Carson, and he mentioned Shavuos, right? Which, like, who, who's heard of Shavuos? <laughs> right? And he's like, he's not talking about Passover and Kippur, which is part of the culture already. He's talking about Shavuos, right? I have to tell you that on Amazon Prime, you can get a lot of the old Carson uh, oh, yeah. programs, and you can see Rickles there, and you're right, Rickles. Rickles, by the way, spoke about his Judaism in a very fond way. He was uh, oh, of, yeah. of, of, of the Jewish comedians who were in Vegas and did, you know, like Rickles. Rickles was one of the most identified, not only everyone knew he was Jewish, he was proud of being a Jew, and he right. actually appreciated, he was, uh, he was from Jackson Heights in Queens, yeah. And and he talks about when he went on his father's yard site. He was in many ways the one of the most Jewish. But then, of course, you have, you know, you have Mel Brooks and, you know, that whole chevre, you know, Mel Brooks and Paul Reiner. And uh, what's I name? heard a very good part, by the way, yesterday about Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. I was listening to a, a Billy Crystal, who I think is <laughs> Billy Crystal. Oh, Billy, Crystal is, B- Billy Crystal is definitely just for longevity purposes is 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 worth, and also his heart. But he talks about the idea of 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 of, of, the, of this yin and yang. You know, you have Reiner and Brooks, 
uh, uh, the reason why they're such an incredible team is because you have Brooks, who is sort of like this Nova, this supernova that could go anywhere, and Reiner being able to sort of tame the whirlwind and be able to drag him to where he wants him to go. And separately, they're sort of like, you know, interesting, but when they're together, you have that incredible dynamic. What they did the old Dick Van Dyke show, when they take Maury Amsterdam and de-Judaize him. This is what Jerry Seinfeld did 40 years later when he de-Judaized George Costanza. Wait, wait, everybody no, watching knows no, what I, he's supposed I, to be. No, no. Buddy Sorrell was Jewish. He had a bar mitzvah in the last... I know, but it was... Oh, you're right. All right. You're right. But it was a little de-racing. Right, <laughs> right, right. Put it this way. Let, let me put it in... A, you're right. George Costanza and his parents, Jerry Stiller... Were obviously Jewish. Jews, right. Why Jerry... What Jerry tried to do, Jerry and Larry tried to do. They want to make it more American. I want. To, I actually think they wanted to protect us because, oh, because in a way, they wanted them to be the typical Jewish stereotype to the maximum. But on the other hand, not call them Jewish because this way they couldn't be accused okay. of of you made these grotesque figures. <laughs> They're not Jewish. Maybe. Wait a minute, they're not Jewish. All three of them, George, his mother, and his father, you can't get more Jewish than that. The the interaction was uh, Jewish times 10. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, the father, the mother, craziness that they would do to each other. Larry Rosenthal did a similar thing in a a, a sitcom, which isn't on the level of Seinfeld, but approaches it, which is Everyone Loves Raymond, right? Uh Right, right. And the the Everyone Loves Raymond dynamic – um, even though I wouldn't say that Peter Boyle is a Jew, right, but, but the mother, yeah, but the mother and Denise yeah. Roberts, I think, is, 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 is very much Jewish. And of course, I, I got to give an honorable mention to Brad Garrett. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Brad Garrett, you know, is, you know, the, you know, Baruch Hashem, we finally produced a Jew who was six foot nine, you know, or whatever right. he is, six foot eight, <laughs> right? But he also, you know, very much, you take a look at some of his early stand up, you can see that he is very yeah. much, very Jewish. So I, I think a lot of the I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, how. Yeah, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that that Larry Rosenthal, who modeled uh, the program, he he knew he was using Ray Romano, was obviously an Italian, but he was modeling the dynamic of the of the mother-in-law and right. and, and the daughter-in-law on a, a specific Jewish situation sure. yeah. that now became universal. So I think in both of those cases we have Jews, but. You know, you're right. America can accept them, and we can be comfortable watching them, not feel that we're being made fun of or we're being attacked by some subtle anti-Semitism from from our well, own. I think you mentioned Mel Brooks, Mel, Mel, or I mentioned Mel Brooks. But he, you know, he does that routine of the 2,000 year old man, and he's talking about how when Christianity was invented, right? And he says, you know, how he was in the jewelry business and he was making stars of David, and they came to him with this new idea. In other words, theology through the eyes of a jewelry. Uh, right. So first he was in the, in the star business, and he says, "Well, you know, they came to me with an idea with the crucifix, with one line this way, one line this way." I didn't think it would sell. It was too simple. Right? Where he says that in the two thousand year old man. I mean, that is just. I mean, that's as far as the chutzpah went. And then it goes. You know, it gets crazy with Larry. Right. In other words, in other words, Brooks was saying that originally it was just one line. He came up with the other line. <laughs> right. he, came, he came up with the warp and the whoop. I mean, that, that that's like a that's a cousin, I think, to uh, 
Mel Brooks's uh, History of the World, oh, yes. where Moshe comes down with the fifteen, the fifteen Lucas, <laughs> the, the Ten Commandments. Right. Um, so that's the oldest Jewish joke in in some ways. When Moses comes down from that, this is a, a very old Jewish joke, and maybe I shouldn't tell it, but one of the oldest Jewish jokes is Moses comes down from the, the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and he says to the Jews, "I have good news and bad news." So they say to him, "What's the good news?" Good news is I got it down from twenty. <laughs> so you know, that's the bad news. Adultery is still in there. <laughs> that, that's, that's an old, old joke. But Robin Williams said it best. I mean, Robin Williams is very funny. Robin Williams, by the way, considered himself a uh, honorary, honorary Jew, right. an honorary Jew. <laughs> he wasn't it, Jewish. So no. he, he does a big show in Germany. This is you can see the video. It's up on YouTube. He's being interviewed on German TV. And the uh, the German uh, interviewer says to Robert Williams, why do you think it is that we Germans have a reputation for not being funny? And Robert Williams answered without missing a beat. He says, you killed all the funny people. <laughs> I mean, what do we have to hear? <laughs> You know, I, I would say one thing when we talk about Mel Brooks, just to be masker him. I know it's Lishevach or not, but one of the things that his, when people write his epitaph, and he's 93 years old, and Mir Tzashem, he should have Arichas Yom, hopefully he shouldn't get COVID. Um, but I think when people speak of, about Brooks, Brooks was willing to take the most um, horrible part of our history and in the producers, uh, the original film, and then in the musical, and basically, like he said, you know, make fun of 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 the Nazis and yeah. actually talk about them. Um, Heil myself, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the which is which you know, even Chaplin, who might have been Jewish. You now Chaplin, we're not sure exactly. Chaplin, sort of, you know, I am, I'm not. Uh, it's not, it's not clear. You would hope, you know, you sort I of hope, you know, but but Chaplin. When Chaplin uh, regretted, although the great dictator, uh, you know, was considered so radical. And so, but he said later, had he known the extent of Hitler's barbarism and the amount of Jews that died, he would not have done it as a comedy. Um, And, but Brooks was doing this in the 60s after we knew the number of six million. It's astonishing. You couldn't get away with making that today. I don't think. But but is that do you think that's a positive thing to be I, able I, to be? Well, let me just say this in a serious tone. I believe the Holocaust, and 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 I I think I have the right to say this because right. I am a child of Holocaust survivors. I don't have any first cousins, um, you know, uh, left. I didn't have any aunts and uncles growing up. I had parents that were scarred by the experience. I'm okay with the sacred cow being uh, pushed off the ledge because. We don't have to be so Holocaust-centered. I, I think part of making the joke about it, I mean, what Brooks meant was, hey, this is the proof that you lost. In other words, not. Right, but, but, but if you're still the boogeyman that's scaring us, that we can't even mention it, or only the most hushed tones are speaking about the sainted martyrs of, of the Shoah, then maybe we're trapped. You know, again, I, I know the Crusades. I don't know. Here's the, here's the thing. Go ahead. I don't have a parallel. That's perfect, but... I remember after the Six-Day War, on the Purims after the Six-Day War, kids would dress up on Purim with a kafiyah. And the reason is the vanquished adversary can be mocked. You don't have Israeli kids or Jewish kids anywhere 
dressing up like that today. Because first of all, that the afterglow of enormous victory in the Six Day War is long dissipated. And the fact is they're still around and they're still, you know, they're still you know, certainly after the intifadas of 15 or 20 years ago, certainly, you know, the, the looming memory of, of, of murder is, is, is fresh. And no one dresses up like them, you know, as a form of, the question is when the producer was made less than 20 years after the end of World War II, when the producer was made, was that mocking what American Jews now felt as the vanquished enemy? Because look, we had survived. Was that what that was? Or was it just, you know, as you say, you know, puncturing the taboo, you know? You know, you can't, I'm not sure. But um, well, let, let me just remind our listeners, and although many of them are probably familiar with it, I mean, I, I saw the producers when it was, um, you know, I guess when it was first run on TV after, uh, you know, it won, its, uh, it won the Oscar for uh, Best uh, Original Screenplay for Mel Brooks. Um, the idea of the of, of the was this is this is the most tasteless, terrible thing to do, right? right? You know, uh, Bialystok and Bloom package, no right? right. Bialystok, but we admit it's tasteless. Right. right, it's tasteless, and this is going to be the thing that everyone is going to hate because right. they. How can anybody do this? How can anybody uh, make Hitler into a hero, <laughs> or are we some sort of comedic hero? Everyone is going to say it's horrible. And then, incredibly, it actually becomes something that people appreciate to be able to laugh about and right. to think is great, which is really the, the, the theme of, uh, of what the whole play and the whole humor is about, that perhaps the only way we could survive is by, like, Yosha B'Samayim V'Yishak, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can even laugh at, 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 at the most terrible things. There is a level of schok anywhere. Now, I, and and I, I would distance this totally from, was it Roberto Benigni's film? Is right, Holocaust yeah, film? I, feel, yeah, yeah, I can't even. No, that, that's not tolerated. I, I can't even hear someone give me a plot synopsis. That's a distortion of, that. of what was in the camps. That's a complete distortion. Right. We're not, I'm not talking about finding humor in the camps. I'm talking about saying this was the horrible, terrible thing that. You're right, never should be forgotten. On the other hand, it can't control us to the point that there is no moving on. That there I mean, is no... if you look at Purim, we make fun of Hummus, right? Right, Lutzanus. That's what we do. We make Lutzanus. The, the vanquished adversary can be mocked. And if the producer was born out of that, and what is our victory? I mean, we lost a third of our people. What's the victory? I mean, we didn't win anything. But the fact is, he didn't win. We won't, we're still around. I, I think what was won in, in, in terms of what Brooks was trying to write, although again, I don't know, right. if, he, I don't know if he ever could think, um, uh, you know, uh, st- stay in a stable way for for a half hour to actually give this idea. Um, you know, you know, he, he does have, you know, Mel Brooks. I think does have a sense of being like a semi-intellectual. Um, right. he, he, he's sort of like Groucho Marx in that way, because right. both of, both of them sort of dabbled in in, in thought. But but I think that you know it, 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 part of it is um, you know the idea. Yeah, so so it's sort of this idea that Hakadosh Baruch Hu also, in a way, laughs. Meaning we're going to find out that everything was latoiv. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and that's part of the incredible, um, you know, comedic aspect of. Uh, uh, yeah, it isn't what you think it is. Um, yeah, that's the, the the switcheroo at the end. Uh, the thing you thought was the worst is the best, and that it's, it's very hard to tell that to someone who who suffered. 
And yet, Akash Baruch was saying, this isn't a, wor- a world that's a veil of tears. There's a certain tainug, there's a schok that occurs. The schok of Yitzchak stoicism, that's part of And when we tap into that humor, we're closer to that than when we're in that serious mode. And I think that's, I, th- I think we could talk about Brooks in that way in, in terms of what he was able to accomplish. Now, we know Brooks started off, of course, as a writer, a young guy coming out of uh, World War II. Right, a writer for Sid Caesar's stable of uh, of your solo shows, and of course, Sid Caesar was a, another uh, typical, incredible Jewish talent. Um, and, and 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 again, Reiner, of course, wrote on the show, and not only it w- also was part of the uh, the stable of of characters, the Great Second Banana. But before that period, which we never saw, because the 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 show your show of shows was never saved um, in, no. in, in in a way that you could that you could watch. You could watch it when we were growing up as reruns, right? <laughs> in other words, so when we were growing I mean, up, they made that movie about it. I mean, loosely based on it. Uh, my so, favorite year. Yeah, my, my favorite, favorite year, my, my yeah. favorite year. Yeah, which is based on. Uh, uh, it's based on Mel Brooks's um, right. Mel Brooks's experience as a writer, young writer, or uh, on your show of shows. But, but again, the, the Jewish. I mean, but let's talk about what we did watch when we were growing up and right. uh, you know, sort of the stuff that was being recycled from old Hollywood. Right. And again, just to give you the background, when you would go to the movies in the thirties and forties, you spent, again, you had to go out to the bathroom and, and they knew that that's why they made sure every feature was about 90 minutes or so. Right. The average, cause that's what they figured the, the, the ability of our right. sphincters, our bladders, they have to hold on, <laughs> but they knew that once you're there and you pay your 15 cents or whatever it was your dime, you're out for the whole night. So you would have a short subject. You'd have the cartoons. Then you would have the first, you'd have the first movie and then you'd settle in for the second one. So many of these short subjects were like what we would call the typical sitcom or just a 20 minutes of comedy. And that is where the Horowitzes and the Fines, the, the, the three Horowitz brothers and, uh, and Mr. Fine got together, of course. And I'm talking about, uh, what was such a staple of our uh, uh, childhood. My grandmother didn't speak a word of Yiddish, knew that's what she should turn on when I came home from school. And she would say, Du willst kicking off the dry Mishaguyim yet, right? You want to watch the Three Stooges. So talk a little bit about what you think about them. I mean, listen, Mo, Larry, and Curly, and Chef, whatever. They, 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 I mean, it, they, were, they were remarkably, I don't know if you... I think only Jews saw them as Jews. I'm not sure they were seen as Jews. I mean, we kind of knew they were Jewish. Did they throw in a Yiddish word here and there? I think they probably I think they, did. I think they did. I think they did. I think they did. By the way, Mo Mo did Hitler before Mel Brooks did. Right. By the way. That's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's interesting. But also, you know, I mean, the fact that Yiddish, I mean, Laverne and Shirley. Right, the opening credits. With the oh, what's that? What's that? Before you move on to thirty yeah. years, that, to, yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, but but again, you know, many people would feel that the Stooges, um, the physical uh, comedy, the, yeah. the 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 poke you in the eye, bop you in the head. Um, do you think that that's a, an aspect of, of of Jewish aggression? I don't know what it was. I, I, I maybe it was the Borschfelds. I don't know what it was. Because my father loved that show. My father didn't watch much on TV. He watched the three things. He watched the news. He watched wrestling. And by the way, one of the funniest things about wrestling is... You know, you know, asked, you know, what, 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 you know as, as sort of like the television movie teacher, right. 
I, 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 let me just put a little point on the Stooges, which I think might be a positive right. one. one. One of the reasons why we loved cartoons, like, for example, I would say, although he's not Jewish, Chuck Jones is an Ely, right? right? Yeah. Um, Tex Avery was an Ely. Oh, these, yeah. were, these were non-Jewish um, uh, uh, animators who developed certain themes, right? Bugs is obviously a Jew. Well, Bug, yeah. Bugs yeah. is definitely a Jew. But one of the great things about Bugs, and especially I would say even um, Wiley Coyote, is that he can get destroyed by um, you know the the TNT. And the anvil off the cliff. Or the anvil can flatten him, but he's back. Yeah. And I think part of what is soothing about the cartoons is that violence it has no repercussions. <laughs> right. And that it happens. And yet, so I think that's part of what's going on with the Three Stooges also. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you're punching him in the face. On one hand, you're kicking him. You're, you're ripping Larry's hair out. But the truth is, they're no worse for wear, right? Right. They don't spend the rest of the short in a cast or with a bruise. And I think part of it is, it, it, part of it is, is allowing you know, the, the, the feelings of aggression that we have. And yeah. by seeing it sort of like a cartoon figure, I think there's something soothing about it. Because yeah. that's what I would say. Again, that is my you armchair know, you psychology. Kicked, you, you get kicked and you get up again. Right, and, then, and then you you can survive it, and it's not necessarily going to destroy you. But go ahead. But, the, uh, but again, we take for granted that the Yiddishisms that have infiltrated American uh, vernacular, you know, uh, we take for granted that it happened. But it happened because of Jewish comedians. Right. right. I, I, and and I, I would say in, in, in a way, we talk about it infiltrating in a way that sort of ability to uh, to take it and to uh, scoff and to sort of be lovable. And uh, even afterwards, you know, I, I would throw in one thing, although I wasn't planning on even mentioning this. Um, there's a, a, another Jewish stand up comedian who later had a very successful television career not doing stand-up at all. And that's Don Adams. Right. And, 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 and not very, he's not talked about too much. No. Right. However, the idea of, of get smart where, you know, oh, yeah. you know, here you have, again, you know, here's, here's a Jewish James Bond, right. And a total, you know, a, a, a buffoon, right. <laughs> but part of it, I think is, we survive. Miss me by that much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that really shows, again, the no, ability... Get smart were the Jews making fun of the guy, James Bond. That's right. No, That's 100%. Right. It, was the, it was the Jewish guy, the scrappy Jewish guy, whatever, however you term uh, you know, mocking the you know the elite. You know, it was... right? Well, that was that was that was part of Mel Brooks's genius of right. coming up with coming up with that idea. But I think even you know even Maxwell Smart, you know, is a uh, is an example of a Jewish I mean, survivor. The code of silence, whatever. <laughs> I don't know why that's Jewish, but I know it is. Yeshas nayim lekosel. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you. It goes back. I mean, I, I was reading something about a year ago. Again, I, I would just say here that part of what, what Mel Brooks was trying to do there was sort of um, burst the bubble of technological gagaism. In other words, basically, the after World War II, many of the um, uh, great 
uh, inventions that were part of the war machine, like the computer, eventually right. started becoming part of normal society. It took a long time for the, the giant computers that were the things that sent those uh, uh, sent those planes and those uh, those bombing raids to eventually become what we're holding in our hands. But it all was a byproduct of that. And America was generally obsessed with all the technology could do. And, and what, look what technology is able to do. Look what we're able to miniaturize. I think part of what Get Smart and, and, and those episodes are trying to do was to show the foibles of technology and to show, you know, the cone of silence doesn't work, right? But, <laughs> but it's technology. We got to do it, right? And so, the shoe phone. The shoe, the, the... The shoe phone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Listen, there are parts, however, I mean, I, I don't want to, this is not for now and I hate to leave on a and say goodbye on a negative note, but part of part of the Jewish dominance in Hollywood and, and in entertainment had some negative consequences because Jewish women are not portrayed nicely in Hollywood movies. I mean, they're, they're portrayed, generally speaking, one of two ways, neither of which I feel comfortable talking about uh, at this moment. But Jewish women suffered terribly from being depicted by Jewish men. Um, okay, I, I can understand that. I, I think originally, though, and you still have a little bit of a lingering aspect of that, we had the long-suffering Jewish mother, right? No, but you also have the the never the, the Jewish woman who is cold, brittle, demanding, complaining, and can never be satisfied, right. triggering her husband to go off and find salvation in the arms of a non-Jewish woman. Were, the word yes. that's used in Hollywood, I will I would never use. Yeah. Um, you know the, 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 that model, and also the model of the. And there's a million of Mona Lisa. Smile. There's a million in American Pie where it is the Jewish girl who's viewed as the most promiscuous. That's over and over again. So you have these two absolutely contrary stereotypes of Jewish women being portrayed with equal vigor: the distant, cold, right, who has to be you have to run from. Or the, or in fact, the the promiscuous one amongst a group of non-Jewish. Yeah, right, right. Again, we we have moved a little bit out of the comedic to sort of like Jewish portrayals in media. So again, putting on that hat, I would say you're probably correct. Um, Jewish, there has been um, not too many great sympathetic uh, Jewish figures uh, in, in. I mean, Larry David does not portray Jewish women nicely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hysterically funny, but it's not exactly a positive stereotype being pushed on, on, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. That's right. Right. Yeah. You know what? I don't have a good response. What I would say is, is that um, for us sitting here as media, you know, armchair media experts, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's somewhat of a cautionary tale about uh, of too much comfortability with that with that culture. Uh, put it this way, do we say where there's smoke, there's fire? In other words, many people will tell you oh, that the... Can, oh, of course, stereotypes have some element of, of truth, and otherwise they, would, they, 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 they wouldn't... They wouldn't ring true. Okay. But but again, it, it's they, they, positive depictions of Jewish women in movies, few and far between. And, uh, you know, I, I think... Part Until of Gal Gadot, which, again, she's Wonder Woman is obviously Jewish. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, you know, we. Uh, I know that uh, in the fifties and sixties, when Israeli um, actresses, 
started getting roles in, in various films. I remember Jews were very proud of that, uh, that Israeli actresses. And yeah. I, I, think there's, I think you might hit on something there. I think there's a little bit of a difference between, and I know this is something that you feel for, you know, the Israeli Sabra, um, uh, what, what they produced is a little bit different than the European. Oh, for uh, sure. uh, right. So in other words, you know, you have the Israeli girl who is this tough, you know, brunette from, you know, who's, who has fought in the army, but is still beautiful and able to like hold her own. Right, right. That, that is very much, you know, it, it's, it's not your prototypical Jewish American princess uh, girl. And and I think that has been something that's been easier in people's minds because yeah, we know Israel was always on the cutting edge of empowerment. Uh, they had uh, you know they're making a big deal about Kamala Harris being vice president. Uh, we had a, 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 a grandmother from Milwaukee that was running that was running the country uh, during some of the most difficult periods. So I think the idea of the Israeli woman is something that Very is true. more more acceptable. There was that show I never watched it. I caught it for a few minutes. What, I, I think it was one of the NCISs where there was a recurring character of, of an Israeli female Mossad agent. I mean, that's not, you know, it's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different conception of... Uh, right, and that's become a trope that they are the toughest, right? Uh, you know, you know, right. I mean, what, to start you know, up with. What was that movie where the, uh, what was it, Ben Stiller was got married and he, he ran away on, uh, she, she, she wasn't faithful on the honeymoon and a whole crazy story that he they end up with Jennifer Aniston, and maybe I got the actors wrong, but it was Jennifer Aniston. The idea is that the Jewish woman was the one you had to escape. That was a classic Hollywood idea, right? You escaped the Jewish woman, and you found refuge in the arms of the of, of the beautiful, dawn demanding, you know, Gentile. Although, you know, again, if we talk, mentioning those two, you know, for many people younger than us, their cult, their cult, cultural touchstone. Is the sitcom Friends for many right. people? That is, you know, that is, you know, and and, and it's still. I know that I, I read things saying that it's still one of the most popular uh, yes. sitcoms that people and, and and many people know. You know, I, I know Rabbeim, Rabbonim, who are teaching, and they can tell you almost every episode, right? Because it is. I never watched that show. So I, my wife, actually binged it uh, once it came on one of our streaming services. My daughter's watching like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I joined her and, 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 and what I found interesting was, of course, there is a, a very strong Jewish presence on that show as well. Uh, the creators, of course, were Jewish. The Kaufman uh, woman, I think, who created the show, I think so, is Jewish. And, uh, of course, the main characters, you know, you have Ross, uh, um, Ross Green is, um, you know, his, his father's Elliot Gould uh, mm-hmm. in the show. And although his mother is not Jewish, uh, he's he's definitely shown as he's the one who made a big stand for Hanukkah, right? He wanted his son to know about you know to, about Hanukkah, and that there's a very cute episode about that. But the most uh, the, the character that most people connected to was Jennifer Aniston's character, and she played Rachel Green. Uh, Ron Liebman, I think, was her father. Uh, yeah, very, right. A very strong Jewish actor, very much an abrasive Jewish actor, and. And she is the uh, one character, although you know, um, you know, although Lisa Kudrow is uh, who played Phoebe, a, a guy, you know, w- w- was actually probably the most connected to Judaism. Maybe David Schwimmer is as well. Yeah. But Jennifer Aniston is really the character on the show that is the Jew. 
She's right. the one who's a Jew on both sides. Right. And, and, and the truth is, although she mentions, I heard, again, I, 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 I sort of did a search on this. She says the word booby once. But there is no almost there's almost no Judaism in her at well, all. I'll tell you a funny story about Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould was on Ray Donovan for the first couple of years. You know, I don't know if watch Ray Donovan. I, I think Ray Donovan, he's sort of like a, a mob. He's an fellow. Irish uh, private detective in Hollywood. Anyway, so he's doing but he's so, not Jewish in the uh, uh, he's not he doesn't play a Jew, he plays as an Irish guy. Um, and he's working for he's doing some jobs for Elliot Gould, classic Jewish Hollywood producer. Anyway, I think it was in the direct aftermath of Elliot Gould having sanctioned the murder, the actual murder of somebody. He turns to, this is how Jewish American entertainment is. Elliot Gould, playing this Hollywood producer, turns to Ray Donovan, playing an Irish private detective, and says to him, like plaintively, but Ray, what about Tikkun Olam? (laughs) And they don't translate it. They don't explain it. But because, as we'll talk about some other time, Tikkun Olam has become part of, you know, top three Jewish expressions, I guess, at this point, unfortunately. But Ray, what about Tikkun Olam? You know, that's what Elliot Gould said, you know. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I bet Lee Schreiber once he was here at a community event, I went, went over to him and I go, but Ray, what about Tikkun Olam? He was cracking up. Anyway, but... What's that doing in an American TV show? Yeah, yeah, that, I, I think you're right, and that really shows the infiltration of basically a conservative theology that um, has allowed, I think, especially in the Obama administration, that was the Judaism that they tapped into. Um, right. Unlike Bush and Trump, that was part of, you know, that's what Judaism's about, Tikkun. We'll talk about that at a different time. Just to end, I think, on... Um, memories can be beautiful <laughs> and yet... Let's just say that Barbara was, for a while, a pretty positive Jewish symbol. I'm not talking about what she... threatening one as well. People didn't... Some people I wouldn't like before. One second. Barbara stayed too long in the spotlight. She should have... Once she got her billion dollars, she should have just retired and watched her movies and, you know, come out once in a while to receive awards. Right. But Barbara, for a while, was... Everyone loved her. And they loved her for her nose. They loved her. Barbara was eight. She was an icon beyond icons. Unlike that Jennifer Grey, I think it was, who ruined her career by getting a nose job after Dirty Dancing. She kept her nose. You got to give her credit for that. And we and we have not mentioned, and we do not have time to mention the Coen brothers who play such a vital role in all of this. Yes. Well, I do. One of the things I will, uh, although you might want to watch edited version of it, if you have some time over Hanukkah, Serious Man. Not a bad. I was about to mention it. The greatest Jewish movie Hollywood ever. Produced. Right, right. You've got a a serious man is definitely worth the a contemplating. More important than the Fiddler on the Roof or Schindler's List or Yenzel. Yeah. Serious well, man is the greatest Jewish movie ever made. Yeah, and and if you want to see some rabbis, I think Rabbi, you're sort of a uh, the three rabbis that are mentioned there. Yeah. I, I I would say that uh, you're sort of a cross between Marshak and Nachner. The fact that people funded that movie, the Coen brothers, had they presented that script and that idea for a movie without ever having done anything before that, they wouldn't have gotten in the front door. But thank God they had built up huge credibility and huge success before being able to present that script and have no one able to say no to them anymore. Because otherwise, there's no way that movie's made if it's their first movie. 
<laughs> well, let's end. I'm going to end with a line from a serious man. One of the one of the uh, typically ugly Jewish girls that are there in the Hebrew <laughs> class with a huge pair of glasses. I'll say Ani lo yodea on that about where we can go from here. Take care, everybody. Enjoy your week in simcha and in comedy. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.